This morning, we're going to be talking about intimacy with Christ. Maybe from a little bit different perspective, possibly. But I'm reminded of a book that I read by Charles Stock. For those of you who don't know, Charles is the pastor, senior pastor of Life Center Church up in Harrisburg, and that's the church that sent us as a church, and he ordained me as a pastor. But he wrote a book, and in this book, part of it, it was about intimacy. It, it told his story, but portion of this book was about intimacy with Jesus Christ. And he coined a phrase that at the time I didn't really know what it meant. I had an idea. But until you really do it, you don't know what it fully means. And that phrase or that that term was soaking. Soaking in your relationship with Christ. You know, have you ever, we've talked about our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We've talked about how we are to have a one-on-one intimacy with him, right? We've talked about that. (laughs) but in that intimacy and I I don't want you to lose this connect with me here connect with me (laughs) we'll take care of we'll take care of the dog but connect with me here because this is important this is important it's not just about that time you spend with the Lord okay it's not just about hey Lord I'm going to give you five ten minutes I'm going to give you 30 minutes every morning It's about the content of that time. It's about what you do in that time. It's about the very connection that God wants to have with you in that time. See, you could spend an hour a day with the Lord Jesus Christ. You could set aside that time with him and it not be profitable. Or it be only profitable in small measure. And that's kind of hard hard to take, isn't it? Well, Lord, I'm giving you an hour a day. Okay, but what that hour consists of is important. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. And this, this term that he, he coined, this soaking, I want to describe that to you. Because it made a difference in my personal time with the Lord. And what it is all about, it isn't about ingesting so much knowledge which is important. Please understand, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not important. That's critically important for us to read the Word of God. The Word of God says it will never return void. So we ingest the Word of God. But this soaking was just being still, stilling ourselves to the point where we could hear from Him. Stilling us not for the purpose of hearing from him. Lord, I really have these ten questions that I need answered, and, and I really need them really bad, so I'm going to spend an hour with you this morning, and I just know you're going to answer them. <laughs> Anybody been there? Man, anyone, anyone there this morning? I, I can raise my hand to that. We all are, because we all want to do God's will. We all desperately want to find God's will, his personal will for our lives, right? And so we think in terms of information. I think that's just natural to humans. It's certainly natural maybe to Americans that we think informationally. Well, Lord, if I just get the information down, then I know what to do and I'll do it. But see, that's not what he says. He says, be still. Be still, know that I am God. Not read this pamphlet or read this chapter and know that I am God. See, he doesn't want us to know about him. He wants us to know him. And there's an intimacy factor there that we miss. We miss even in being saved for a long time. I've been saved for 42 years. And that intimacy with Jesus Christ did not come until about the last five or six. Now the knowledge was there, and that's what I thought the intimacy was. So I understand how it's really easy to mistake knowledge for intimacy. But see, he wants us 
to focus on him. So this soaking is just sitting there, absorbing perhaps worship music or just silence, but just thinking about him. Reminding, going over in your mind the attributes of God. Who he is. Perhaps the names of God. You know, the names declare his attributes. And I, I don't know if, if, uh, if you have many listed. There are dozens of names of God. But there are, I think on the list that Alex has, there are maybe 25 to 30 on there. It's really good to get this list. Learn this list because you learn the attributes of God. Soak in your relationship with him, understanding his attributes. See, he loves us. That's who he is, right? He, he is good. He wants our best. So we need to take our focus off of doing sometimes and place it on being. And that's critically important to get. Because when you're intimate with him, it's about the being. It's about being there with him. It's about soaking him in. It's about drawing into this intimacy of relationship with him. The doing is a result of it. And sometimes we get those backwards. We think the doing is going to bring about the intimacy. If I just read my Bible every day for 30 minutes, I'm going to become intimate with Jesus Christ. No, it will have an effect on you, but intimacy is a choice. Understand that. Intimacy is a choice of giving up my will for his. He wants intimacy with me. He doesn't just want me to have the knowledge of him. He wants me to know him. Knowing him and knowing about him are two different things. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And oftentimes that intimacy is a is distracted because of what we're doing. It's distracted by the very service we think we're doing for God. Now, this can be ministry, but it can also be personal. It can be in our own lives, what we're doing for God. Well, I'm reading for an hour a day. I'm praying for 15 minutes a day or hour to whatever it is. I'm doing these things with the expectation of intimacy. Wow. It's just the opposite of that. The intimacy is what produces those things. The intimacy with Jesus Christ. And we've got to be careful that the other things are not distracting. I don't know about you, but I've known tons of people. Been in ministry. We've been, Alex and I have been in leadership for 25 years. We've known tons of people that have been just knee deep in ministry that's their whole lives, and that is, that's their total push, that's their identity, everything else, but yet, there's no closeness. There's no intimacy, because the result of intimacy is joy, and you see no joy in their life. Anybody know people like that? I mean, there's no joy in their life. Where's the joy? The joy doesn't come from service. The joy comes from intimacy. If you get married to somebody, you have a marriage relationship, if you have no closeness, if you have no intimacy, you will have no joy. You may do all kinds of things together, and you may move forward together, but if there is not that closeness, there's no joy. There can't be, right? It's the same with our relationship with Christ. So, so we're looking at this thought of being distracted by service. And, and I want to want to use an example in the Word of God you're familiar with, I'm sure, but I call it the tale of two sisters. We're talking about Martha and Mary, okay, in the New Testament. And, and I'll encourage you to do some background review on your own. Maybe this week, as you, as you go through this week in your devotions, learn who Mary and Martha are. Learn who, who they were to Jesus Christ. And who he was to them. But we're going to talk about a tale of two sisters. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. 
And we're going to read one of the renditions of a, a scene that is happening between these two sisters and Jesus Christ. Okay? <clears throat> Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42 says this. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. See, from the outside, Martha looked like the one that was doing good. Martha was the one serving. She was the one making things happen. Man, there's not going to be any food if it weren't for Martha. You know, thank goodness for Martha. She's getting it all together. And that's good. Please understand, that's good. But she missed the best part. What was Mary doing at the same time? You can, you can all sense Martha's frustration. I, I've been there. I'm sure you've been there where you're doing all this work. You're getting ready for this event or, or you're serving in this event and this other person is just soaking it in. Just taking it all in and drawing close to, to Jesus Christ, which is actually the whole reason we do that, right? But we get frustrated because they're not helping. Or they're not doing something that we think that they should do. But yet in this case, what was Mary doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. She was sitting at his feet and soaking him in. Listening to his teaching. Listening, hanging on every word that he was saying. She wanted to be filled with him. She didn't care if she ate or not. She didn't care if the house were clean or not. She didn't care if anybody had a place to sit. She sat on the floor. She sat at his feet. She just wanted the eye contact. She just wanted the focus. I don't think Mary even knew that anything else was going on around her because she was so hung on being with Jesus. See, Jesus was her Lord. And if you go back and you understand who Mary is, you'll understand why. See, the Lord cast seven demons out of her. Okay, she was from a place of torment. She came from a place where she had no peace. She had nothing. He came and he took that away and gave her peace. He gave her relationship. Remember back to the time when you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart. Realize that in doing that, he established a relationship. He established the opportunity to give you peace, to give you joy, to give you purpose, to give you intimacy with him. She was simply taking advantage of it. Her Lord was in her house, and she's going to just be absorbed by who he is. But yet Martha was distracted because there were things to do. And these were good things. You know, I mean, the Lord was there. She was probably getting food ready. She was cleaning. She was doing service. She was doing ministry. And what did the Lord say? He said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. He was saying, you're distracted by these many things. There's distraction in your life. He said, there's only one thing necessary. None of that is necessary. There's one thing that's necessary. I highlighted that in my Bible, that word one. It's singular. It means one. There's one thing that was important. And Mary chose the good thing. 
That's what he says. So what did she choose? She chose to focus on him. She chose to let nothing else distract her so she could focus on him. She soaked him in. How many times in our lives do we choose the distraction? Do we choose the service? We get up in the morning and, you know, we're supposed to do our devotions and we just rattle through those because of this list of things that we have to do that day. And then we find that day really doesn't go all that smooth. (laughs) Right? We set our day off on the wrong foot because we didn't choose the right thing. To choose the right thing, the Bible says it right there. He said it's just the one thing that's necessary. And what Martha did is she was anxious and troubled. She was distracted. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 31. This is talking about this anxiousness, this this distraction. You know, Jesus said, do not be anxious. Why did he bring this out? He brought it out because it's a problem with us. We're, as humans, we're easily distracted. We're easily distracted because we have this thought process of a direction something needs to go. If we see an end goal, we are usually plotting the points up to that goal. And we know, well, we've got to go here, here, and here. This is what we've got to do to reach that goal. We become distracted by the process, which oftentimes never gets us to the goal. So what's Jesus say here in in verse uh, 22 to 31? says this in Luke 12. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, nor about your body, what you're going to put on your clothes. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of span to his life? If then you are not able to do as as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. Neither They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O ye of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Then 31 caps it off. Instead, Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Does that sound familiar? Keep the one thing the one thing. See, we're to seek him, period. We don't seek his attributes. We don't seek his provision. We don't seek these things that we think we need to provide for ourselves. There's an order in which we do it. We seek him. What was happening here was the Lord was about to be sending off the disciples out, teaching them how to go out and evangelize. He was about to send them out on their own. Okay, and he was saying, don't worry about what you're going to need. Why? Because I'm with you. I know what you need. Let me take care of that. See, I know what you need. God says that even to us as a church. He knows what we need. He knows and told us it's time for a building. He knows all the needs we're going to have in this building. We don't have to be anxious for that. It's a choice. You can worry about the things in life that you can't control. You can be anxious about those things, but it doesn't do any good. It doesn't get you any further to the goal. (laughs) And God gives us the answer. He says, don't worry about it. I know you need it. 
See, I, I love how God sets up his promises. Because he tells us on one hand not to worry about these things and to focus on him. But yet there's a huge part of us that we want to kind of know how it's going to turn out. We want to know that it's going to be okay. We want to know that we're going down the right path. We want to know that, that when we get to that building, it's going to be paid for. We're going to be able to do the things that we need to do in it. We, see, we want to know these things. God anticipated that. He anticipated that in your own life, that he knows you're going to want to know that things are going to be okay. So he gives these promises. He gives these things that we can hang our lives on and say, Lord, you said. 2 Corinthians 9.8 is one of, my, one of my favorite verses. But my God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. That is an all-encompassing promise of Jesus Christ. See, and what he says here is, don't worry about these other things. If I've called you to do it, just as Jesus Christ called the disciples to go out and represent him. So he says, as I call you to go out and do these things, you worry about that. You worry about the intimacy with me, staying close to me. I'll worry about the rest of that. That's what 2 Corinthians 9.8 says. Alex, Alex and I, uh, almost a year and a half ago now, we closed down the business. Okay, and we went into ministry full time. We didn't go into salary situations or anything else. But God was very clear that he wanted us to do that. And so I said to Alexis, it doesn't matter what the plan is. This is what he wants. We could claim this promise of his absolute provision, and we're safe. I could tell you after a year and a half, he has not failed us once. He has not failed us once. And that's what he's going to do for this church. That's what he wants to do for you. Not just financially, but when you are on course for what he wants you to do, hold him to his word. God, you said everything. In 2 Corinthians 9.8, he uses the word all three times. Wow, it just hit me. Three times. The number of the Trinity. That was complete. He couldn't have said any more clearly Everything, all, everything you need. There is not a single thing that you will need that he will not provide if you are on the course that he wants you to be on. If you are doing what he wants you to do. Now we could sit back and say, okay, well, how do you figure out what that is? You know, how, how do you know how do I know that, God, you want me in ministry? You want me to close the business down? You want me to take every tie that I have had? Because it wasn't just closing the business down. I was a contractor. He wanted me to get rid of all my equipment. Because he did not want me, in a time of need, to go back and say, well, I could just do a little job, and boom, we got, we got another few thousand dollars, and we're fine. No, he, he wanted me to get rid of everything. Because he wanted me to fully trust him. He wanted me to see that his provision was from him, not from me. Where is that in your own life? See, we always take these things and we apply them financially, but they're not just financial. Where is he in your life with relationships? Where is he in your life with service? Where is he in your life with Intimacy with him. See, these are the things that we can apply to because he says, if you just focus on the one thing, he'll take care of the rest. Remember, read verse 31 again. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Sounds a lot like Matthew 6.33, doesn't it? 
One of our foundational verses, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He takes care of the rest. What he wants is intimacy with us. What he wants is personal time with us. Not just us learning things about him. He wants us to have relationship with him. Have you ever had a really close relationship where some of the sweetest time you spend together is sitting there in silence and just holding hands? Just thinking about one another. Just absorbing the moment and absorbing who each other is. See, that's what God wants. That's what intimacy with Christ is. We do learn about him. We do read the word of God because that's what teaches us to be intimate. That's how we learn of his attributes. But it can't replace the still, small voice. It can't replace the be still and know that I am God, as it said in Psalms. It can't. Because it replaces the intimacy with duty. And duty is going to rip your life apart every time. Every time. Let's read another example of this with Mary and Martha. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Now, what's happening here? First of all, Lazarus, just so you have a little background here, Mary and Martha Martha are the sisters of Lazarus. And Lazarus had just gone through where Jesus Christ raised him from the dead. Okay, Jesus was not there. Lazarus got really sick. They tried to send for Jesus, did not get to him in time. Lazarus died. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to say it now, but go back and read in chapter 11, and I think it might even be the end of 10. But read what happens here is Jesus, when he hears that Lazarus is sick to the point of death, what's he do? You would think, you would, you would think he would just rush to go there, but he doesn't. He said, so he decides to delay his departure for a couple days. He wanted to make sure Lazarus was good and dead. That sounds a little ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's exactly what he wanted to do. And if you read, it says why. It said, so they will know that I am God. See, he knew that Lazarus was not going to stay dead. He knew that he was going to come and raise Lazarus from the dead. So, So that's what's happening or what happened prior to what we're about to read. Just to give you a little background. So we're going to read verses 1 through 8 of John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, so that had happened before this. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment, made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. See, this is another example of somebody who was distracted. Judas was distracted. Now, I'm going to say Judas never had that relationship. Okay, but place yourself in that same position and apply it to ministry. Even if his thought process was pure in his heart, which we know it's not, but let's just say that it was. Even if his motive was pure in his heart to help the poor, God said that's not what was important. He said, focus on me. 
Again, Mary did the right thing. Now, this is not the same as the other. Okay, Mary focused on him both times. And there's actually two other examples in the Word of God of this same very thing. Where the focus, Mary's focus was directly on Jesus Christ. Nothing else mattered but just him. See, he said, focus on me. See, the the poor, you're always going to have the poor. And he said earlier, what we read earlier, he's going to provide for all that ministry. He wants his focus on him. And in this case, Judas In verses 4 and 5, Judas was the one that was distracted. You know, the father also had purpose in Mary's focus. You know, as you read the word of God and you, you, you put different things of the different gospels together, you learn some different pieces. God has purpose in our intimacy with him. What was Mary doing there? She was at the feet of Jesus and she was anointing him with this oil. And she was paying attention to him. She was spending time with him. She was absorbing him and who he was. But through that process of intimacy, God, the Father, had a purpose. It's the same with us. Let's look at that. Matthew chapter 26, verse 12. And this is, this is Matthew's version of the same of the same event, but I just want to focus specifically on verse 12. In pouring this ointment out on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. See, the Father had reason for this. This was what was a foreshadowing of what was about to happen. See, Jesus knew that he was about to be sacrificed on the cross. The Father had ordained that from the beginning. And so what Mary was doing, through her intimacy, God had purpose in that. It wasn't she, she, her thinking in her mind, well, I need to do this because I need to prepare him for burial. See, if you look at, again, we're not going to turn there, but if you study Mary and Martha, you'll, you'll know that Mary was the first one that Jesus saw after he was raised from the dead. But before that, Mary and Martha had gone to the grave specifically to anoint him with oil. This burial oil that they do that was traditional. That's when they got there and realized that the stone was rolled away and there was an angel sitting there and Jesus was no longer there. Okay, so so what God was doing here, knowing they would not would not have an opportunity to anoint him with oil later, God had it happen right then. So there was purpose in what Mary was doing, but not in Mary's eyes. Mary had no clue. Mary was just being attentive to Jesus Christ. Mary just loved him. She just wanted to spend time with him. So do you see from the innocence of that intimacy, the innocence of just wanting to be with him, the service came. It's the same in our lives. If we're intimate with Jesus Christ, if we we are 100% focused on him, of absorbing who he is and letting him work in our hearts, getting to know him intimately in that relationship, the service comes. I've used this illustration a few times, but if you take a cup, you know what? I don't even like a cup. If you take a 55-gallon drum, (laughs) okay, 55-gallon drum that's empty, okay, that's us. You take a hose, and you put a hose in it, and you turn the hose on. That's the Spirit of Christ, Jesus Christ flowing into us. It takes a while for us to fill up. He doesn't pour out right away. He begins to repair. He begins to strengthen. He begins to to give a sense of purpose. That whole time that he's filling up, he is changing the consistency of that drum. 
He's changing the consistency of who we are. As he fills us up, it changes us. It isn't that we get filled up just a little bit. Okay, God, that's enough. Let me go pour you out. Man, don't do that. Don't do that because it empties you. That's not how he designed it. He designed it for you to fill up with him until he boils over. Until he pours out. See, at some point, that 55-gallon drum, you got that hose on full blast. At some point, that's going to just start overflowing the edges, right? Now, you don't go and turn it off. You want it to overflow. You keep the main thing the main thing. You keep focusing on him, what he's doing in your life, that intimacy with him, soaking him in. And the more you do that, you couple that with learning who he is, in the word of God, and he begins to pour out. See, that is the service. That is the ministry. That is the ministry that's effective. Have you ever tried to do ministry when you're doing it on your own and you just see no effect? It's like, what in the world? I'm not getting anywhere with this. But then contrast that when, with times where you were filled up with your intimacy in Jesus Christ. You were filled up with him and you do a ministry perhaps you weren't even expecting. That he just led you in that direction. Now all of a sudden, wow, people are being affected. Things are happening. I didn't do anything. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He doesn't want us to do anything. He wants to do everything through us. That was the, be- the plan from the very beginning. See, God, in relationship with us, it wasn't just about that relationship. Because if that were the case, then the second we, we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, he could have just taken us up. He could have just taken us to heaven. But see, he wants us to have an effect on the people around us. God does not go after people except through other people. Does that make sense? God reaches people through service of other people. And I'm not saying that he never speaks to people individually. I'm not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, I I know uh, personally a friend of mine who, one of their best friends, was saved in Iran. She was a mother in Iran, a Muslim. And Jesus Christ came to her in a dream. And she got saved and then left the country. So I'm not saying that he does not come after us personally. He does. But he works through people. That's why he developed the church. The church is a very unique body. It's a very unique thing. And and as you study the church in the word of God, you'll you'll realize that, that it is a living, breathing organism that God works through to reach other people. So for us to be an effective church, for us to be effective individuals for him, it can't be how good we are at doing ministry. Wow, I hope not. We're in trouble. It can't be that. It can't be how good we are at putting together programs. It can't be how good we are at doing business and we can make sure that that church is run so airtight as a great business doing all the marketing we need to do, doing this that we need to do, you know, being careful of the finances that we... It can't be that because there's no effect in that. It has to be through the individuals that are a part of that church. See, the church isn't the building we're going to be in. The church isn't the organism that we're going to work through. The church is you. The church is me. Living, breathing people that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. If you want to be part of an effective church, and you've all heard the the vision that we have and, and what we believe God wants to do here at Ignition. But if we want to be effective as a church... We better be intimate 
with the God of this universe. We better be intimate placing that hose in the 55-gallon drum, turning that nozzle on full blast and just letting it be. See, that's the intimacy. Have you ever sat there in the morning and just listened to worship music and thought about him? Don't let your mind wander to think about what you're going to do that day or what even what he wants you to do that day. But have you ever just sat there and thought about him? Talked with him? Thought about his attributes? Thought about his sacrifice? I mean, you could spend the rest of your life every morning trying to think about the sacrifice that he made for you on the cross and never come close to fully realizing that. As a matter of fact, I think we're going to spend an eternity with him realizing what he did for us on the cross. We have just a small picture, and then we paint all the details in ourselves. Like it, it, I, don't, I won't say it bugs me, but it, I guess it does kind of bug me. <laughs> all these renditions that we see of Jesus Christ. Okay, and I'm not saying they're not real and somebody who, who saw a vision of him, that that's not his face or anything else. But you know what? I've never seen one yet that depicted him how the Bible says that he is. Do you know when he died and rose again, nobody, not one person, recognized him? Not one. Not even the people closest to him. Not even the first person who he saw, Mary and Martha, they didn't even recognize him. Nobody recognized him. And we just kind of set that aside and think, well, you know, he's, he's, in, he's in his, his you know, glorified body, and, and that must be really different, and he's got a whiter robe on, and, you know, all this stuff. No, that's not it. See, because the first two disciples that he, he showed himself to, on the road to, to Emmaus, when he went, it was when he broke bread and said something specific that it keyed in their mind who he was. Once they knew who he was, they recognized him. So there had to be something there that was different than, the, than when they walked with him for three years. And if you understand and you, you begin to read what he went through, not just on the cross, but the beatings. And do you understand that in, in Isaiah, it says that they ripped his beard out. Okay, they didn't just cut it off. They pulled it out from the roots. When you pull a beard out in clump by the roots, you know it doesn't grow back. Do you know there's scar tissue there that nothing will grow? See, that how we're going to see him. He, he didn't have everything heal up. As a matter of fact, Thomas, he proved to Thomas that it was him. He said, look at my nail scars. See, it's me. Look at my nail scars. So Jesus Christ, he wants to be intimate with us. He wants us to know him. And part of that is knowing what he did for us on the cross. Just falling in love with him. Just spending time absorbing who he is. He's Jehovah, our healer. He's Jehovah, our provider, Jehovah Jireh. He is everything to us. When we focus on those attributes, we learn who he is. I, I want to encourage you to do that this week. When you spend time in your private time with him, before you even open the word, just spend alone time absorbing who he is. Soak him in. Just soak him in. Think about his attributes. Pray and spend time with him in that way. 
I want to read in Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 2 because this is now taking this to the level of a, of a church. In Revelation chapter 2, the distraction because of service was the charge that they had at the church of Ephesus. And it's important to understand that this can get in the way of our effectiveness for Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 say this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, And Ephesus was a real church at that time. Okay, It was a real church, and this was the problem they had. This was some 60 years or so after the church began Okay, at Pentecost. So, so they have been a church for a while. There's probably, at, by this time, about 100 churches around that area. But this was one specific church said to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works. Now he's speaking to this church, this body of believers. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. He's saying you're steadfast. You've held to the faith. You've walked that straight line. You've continued the path that you began. But verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. It's our intimacy that Jesus wants. Their scorecard was great until it came down to the most important thing, the intimacy with Jesus Christ. How is your report card with your walk with Jesus Christ How are you with that intimacy? How are you with that one-on-one? Not how are you with service. Not do you pass out tracts, do you share Christ with people, do you serve in the church, do you do this, do you do that. Set that aside. Have just a single mark on your report card, and that is intimacy. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. How are you absorbing him? Because that's where it's at. That's where it all begins. It is through that that he sanctifies us. It's through that that he builds us up. It is through that that he will build this church. When we are on fire for him, it's not because we're excited about service, but it's because we're overflowing our edges with him. The Holy Spirit has just so filled us that it can't help but come out. That's where the report card needs to be. That we're just overflowing with him. And that's the effective service. That's an effective church. I'm telling you right now, if all of us here had that intimacy with Jesus Christ, we didn't worry about what talents we have or anything else or what God wants, and and if we're just intimate with Jesus Christ and we soak him in in personal relationship, let him fill each one of us up, It'll blow you away what he does with this church. It'll blow you away what he does with your life. He'll place you where he wants you to be. He's just got to get you overflowing. Because then he does the work. He said, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about your needs. Focus on him. Focus on the one thing. 
The one thing, which by the way, and I won't turn there now, but, but again, as you study Mary and Martha and that whole relationship there, one of the things in another passage, it's in the Luke passage that, that Jesus says, is, is that that will be known unto Mary for eternity. In other words, that's what she will be known for. He says, don't take that away from her. That's what she's going to be known for in heaven. Wow. How would you feel being known in heaven as the person who all they want is to be intimate with the Lord? Just to have that intimacy, that one-on-one with the Lord, and that's your reputation. Not just here on earth, but for eternity. How amazing is that? And the Lord said, don't you dare pull her into service because she's going to be known for this. Because all she wants is me. All she wants is intimacy with God. The service will come because, again, as you study Mary, you'll see the service that happens. You'll see Mary and Martha were the ones, the first ones to see Jesus Christ. They were one of the few women that went with him town to town. And then they were active in the church. But see, it started with that intimacy, and that's what she was known for. So keep the one thing the one thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Seek him. Let him do the rest. If we do that as a church, if we individually seek him, and just watch what he does. Just watch what he does. Because every nation will know what he's doing through us. Every nation. I don't care if they know where Newark, Delaware is or not. <laughs> They're going to know us because of our reputation of intimacy with Jesus Christ. Not service, but our intimacy. Amen? Let's bow our heads.